Welcome to another pint with Shoney B coming to you from Dublin today. I've got a guy I've known for maybe 20 years, but I don't know an awful lot about him. We used to play football together for Clontarf Athletic, which is about as high up the footballing ladder as I ever got. I played with him for a couple of seasons. This guy used to be a professional footballer. He's a jack of all trades. He's got his fingers in loads of pies. He's a very famous Irish advertising guy, and he's done lots of stuff with his life, and we're going to find out about it. I'm welcoming Gary Brown. How are you, sir? I'm oh, very good, Sean. Good to see you. I might ask you to move a little bit. Yes, of course, yeah. I don't want to get too close. Do you remember our Clontarf yeah. athletic days? I do, yeah. Was yeah. they any good? You were. You are a bit lazy, but you were good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you had, um, you know, but you could probably say that about your whole career, could you really? I could, yeah. That, that would sum you up in many areas. No, you were uh, you were a bit like a bit of a Berbatov, I thought. That's yeah. right. Your head, da- head yeah. goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was raining. You didn't yeah. fancy yeah. you sometimes, yeah. But you could play. Yeah. I remember that there was actually a few guys playing on that team who were ex-Man United. Pierce O'Leary was there. That's there was right. a few other lads. I mean, it was quite. Well, it was a lot of on Mick Lawler for start. Mick, Lawler, has, yeah. Mick has six caps, Republic of Ireland. I played badly and briefly for Shelburne, Shelburne and St. Yeah. Pat's. Yeah, so. But we were all kind of past ourselves by the, at that yeah. stage. I mean, I started playing with Clontarf Athletic when I was, I think, was 39. So. And I was about 25, I'd say, 24. Yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, the only thing I say to you is Mick would have overseen everything on that club. And, you, you know, if you were in that team, you could play. We had a way of playing. It was always 4 4 2. There was a system. So if you were playing in that. In that setup, you could play. Now, whether you applied yourself, that's another story, but you could play, you know? So that's. Was your first interest as a kid getting into soccer? Yeah, it was. I'm from the inner city in uh, Church Street, tenement houses and tenement buildings, and they started to fall down. And we were moved then. One side of the street was moved to Cabra West, and the other side was moved to Bally Farm, which is interesting. What were your folks what they were? My, my, my dad was a, was a docker. He was killed when I was very young. He was really? killed at the docks, yeah. He was, he was uh, killed when I was 11. Yeah. Uh, he would have left school when he was so an accident four, yeah he was um, they were moving cases of mahogany on a crane and the crane collapsed and he was crushed underneath so Jeez. 34 years of age he was killed yeah. how many kids did you uh, four of us yeah I was the eldest and my mother so we were in, living in Cabra at that stage so look it was tough and as I say at the time you know we didn't have any money but we weren't poor if you know what I mean I mean mm-hmm. my mother was always working worked that night my mother's a great character still alive my father uh, had a uh, still has a very profound influence on my life, despite the fact that I lost him when I was so young. Um, she's so did you step up then and have to grow up real quick? Yes, probably did, yeah. It's like everything else. When you're in the middle of these situations, you don't realise exactly what's yeah. going on. You don't realise whether they're good or bad or indifferent. You just get on with it. And um, I suppose that was it. I mean, Cabra at the time was, um, we were up out the streets morning and night and you just played football. That's what you did, three or four games a day. And what was school like? Did you have to leave school to start working then? Or? Uh, no, I worked that night. I worked that night as a lounge boy. Then uh, Matt Whelan's as lounge boys when we were 13 and 14 and made a few bob and, you know, that helped the household. My mother was working at night time as well. So I was minding the what kids. She worked in the, in the chipper in Cabra. It's right. very famous. Became very famous yeah. for giving out extra uh, cards to people who didn't have a few bob, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. This was Dublin sort of late 60s. Late, late 60s, late yeah. 60s. yeah. This whole idea I'm intrigued about the good old days. Everyone keeps going about the good I saw a reeling in the years from 1965 and I went, there's nothing pretty, there's nothing good about that. No, days. there wasn't really much good about it. I mean, you know, the, the Catholic Church held sway over everything. Uh, teachers held sway. The pillars of society were then where it was the church, the guards, the bank managers and everything. And they, they ran society, really. So it was, there's not, wasn't anything really great about it. I mean, there was a certain level of freedom we had on the streets that kids don't have now because yeah. we're all so conscious of all these. We were, yeah, we were just allowed run go where we went. I remember going into 
the pond with, with some stuff belonged to my father who was still alive at the time when I was 10 years of age getting the bus into Parnell Street going to the pond the pond for my mother and getting the bus back at 10 years of age that would be unheard of now yeah. but that's we didn't know any better then it was just but again that time there wasn't the sort of there wasn't the same drug issues that happened in the 80s or stuff like that or crime wasn't as bad was there was more community still I've no recollection of drugs being an issue drink was pervasive as it still is today which I meant a lot of you know, sort of problems at home with some people, dads coming home drunk, being abusive yeah. and stuff like that. And so so that was going on. But mm. your kids, you kind of you kind of just shelter yourselves from that. Now, that didn't happen to me because obviously my dad was killed mm. when I was 11. So the streets were tough, but you had to get on with it. If you could be good at football, it became an aspiration for you. And I was lucky that I, I played with some good schoolboy teams. And then I was picked up by actually the Man United scout at the time, Joe Corcoran, and he was running a team called Cambridge Boys. So I went from Cabra to Rings End, which was two buses, which was a big deal yeah. at 13 and 14. And I was lucky to play in a fantastic schoolboy team all the way from 14A up to 18, managing to win the league every year, the uh, Evans Cup all Ireland under 15, the FUA Youth Cup twice. Under seven, Rings Rings Cambridge, Cambridge boys, Cambridge boys yeah, right. they're from Rings and they're still going. And we had a lot, of, a lot of guys in that team would have went on and played the League of Ireland, um, and then we had John Devine who went to Arsenal. So yeah. I was very lucky. Did you go for trials in these days? Uh, no, I didn't. I had a couple of opportunities to go at one stage, Coventry City, but I never really. I was probably the worst player on the team that we had but I was kind of determined. I didn't have your ability. If you'd have had my ability, we could, together we could have been away. <laughs> so, but you did get into professional football, right? Into Shelburne. Yeah, yeah I went to Shelburne um, 17 or 18, made my debut in um, a Leinster Senior League match for the first team against Shamrock Rovers. Got unfortunately a very bad break in my leg just when I was getting, getting myself established in the team. It was a compound fracture. Then they didn't have the technology yeah. that I have now so that kind of knocked me back a bit but before that I had actually when I was away with Cambridge boys we went on an end of season tour and to a play in America I had just finished my leaving cert in fact I was the only fella on the team who had right. the leaving cert I, I remember this yeah away. I went on my leaving cert only because when I was young my dad used to say to me you're going to do your leaving cert he didn't he didn't no he left school when he was 13 but he had this thing at the time to me you know, brains beat bronze so you're going to yeah. do your leaving cert and I had numerous chances to get jobs. When he died, did you feel that... You, you said earlier that you, you felt him with you all your life. And did those words echo him and drive you to actually do your leading search? Yes, they him? did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they did, yeah. Because I said, he wanted me to do it, so I'm going to do it. So yeah. When I was in America, we played lots of colleges. And it turns out I was offered two scholarships to go to America. And one was in Hofstra University, which is a good business college in Long Island. And I contemplated that. But then I, I thought to myself, you know, I have to get a job back home, get a few bob into the house, so... That was it, really. Do you regret that? Uh, no, not really, no. You were the man of the house and you had to younger siblings and how did they all finish up? Yeah, they're all still here, yeah. yeah. They're, all, they're all still here. Some did of them, them, them talk to me, some of them don't. Really? You know? <laughs> it's a traditional family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But my, my mother was great through all of this, you know. She got married again, uh, you know, with a stepdad and he was a good guy. I was very lucky. Then it was just about me trying to get a job and I, I became, would you believe, I know you're going to smile when I tell this, but I became a trainee accountant and studied accountancy for two yeah. years. Hated it. Yeah. Hated every minute of it. Went to college at night over in the College of Commerce at Ratmines. Did two exams and couldn't wait to get the hell out of the place. But you can work your way around the balance. You'd always yeah, I can work my way a little bit around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then, so, again, just the, the whole not making it as a football thing, I want to explore it. Because I remember, I've written about this, that the dream that I had of being a professional footballer gets taken away. You know when you're 12 or 13 that you're not going to good enough with the players around you did that 
have any effect on you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew when I was about 16 or 17 that I, I, I wasn't good enough to make a career out of it. Now, I signed for Shells and I was an amateur the first season, but when I signed for Pats, I, I signed as a professional and I remember the contract, it was um, 12 quid a week and 2 quid a point. At the time, I was earning... 30 quid a week as a trainee accountant. Right, so it was kind of good, yeah. 50%. Yeah. It was worth it, you know, but it didn't last very long. It was only a year. I mean, I realised I just wasn't good enough. Even League of Ireland, I was a mediocre player and I got by for a couple of seconds. I mean, League of Ireland would be probably the equivalent of the, I'm being generous here by saying the third division in England. Yeah, maybe a little bit higher now. I think I think it's got better. Yeah, yeah, I think it's got better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose. Well, the problem we have in Ireland is a lot of the players in the League of Ireland. As soon as they're any good, they get jumped on by English teams and get brought over to play in the UK, where there's more money for them and all that stuff. And so, it's more like a farm. It's a farm league. Yeah. Where where do you see the state of football at the moment? It's gone nowhere really, and hasn't hasn't been. I mean, I was chairman of Shelbourne for three seasons. I came back and I got involved, and we did really well. We nearly got through the Champions League, mm. Deportivo La Coruña, beaten by them, and that was a eight million. Yeah, we, we now with five minutes to go. I remember Jason Bourne missed a sitter in the six yard box. Goalkeeper caught a kick that long, and their winger got onto it one nil, and yeah. then they scored immediately after that. We were out. That was it. So, but so we came close. But the state of football now is very difficult. I think there's too many teams. I think it needs to. They need to look at an amalgam of various. You know, copy from lots of different sports. There should be ten ten clubs, perhaps in the League of Ireland. There should be a franchise basis. It'll never happen because the Bladers will be fighting yeah. and learn a bit from rugby and then learn a, a bit from the GAA. Because what the GAA has been very successful at is is bringing women into the game, yeah. not just playing, but really involved in it. That doesn't happen so much in soccer clubs. I can be very critical of the GAA and I still have scars from the band. So I am a soccer man, let's be very clear. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, but I agree with you. This, 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 this whole death by a thousand cuts, fail with them and succeed without them kind of mentality where you just keep going down, down, it's a race the bottom. And as you say, you need to etch a sketch it and start again. And you, you, could, you could plan it better. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't, if we're talking about, for example, women in, in, in issues here, I mean, look at, look at another. Uh, look, look at Sinn Féin. Yeah. One thing yeah, that yeah. Sinn Féin have done different yeah. to all the other political parties yeah. is they've engaged women. At, at, and with, at, that comes, uh, with that comes almost, uh, oh, they weren't able to govern, you know, and all, yeah. and kind of, oh, you know what I mean? All this kind of, this, you know, it's like what we do. It's a brand relaunch to change men, mindsets from this to the, from guns and blowing up people yeah. to fucking we can be in government. Actually, yeah, and, you know? and, and look at look at all the, Lewis, look at all the young emerging uh, Sinn Féin councillors. It's about 60-70% of them are women. Yeah. You know? I mean, let's drift in there because it's, it's, it's kind of weird seeing how long it's taken for, say, Me Too to blow up and become a thing where it's actually very fucking serious now. And it's, I mean, certainly in advertising, we'd have a reputation for not being the, the greatest industry. Not, although, in fairness, I haven't seen a lot of it, but the sort of people I worked with didn't tend to be mean like that or whatever. Uh, where do you where do you stand on on that whole Me Too thing and where it's where it's come from? Well, I think it needed to be said. I suppose like everything else, you can go overboard with it as well, you know. And people jump on the bandwagon. In Irish advertising, we've been quite good yeah. in in bringing women to the fore. And even saying even me saying bringing women to the fore, we yeah. didn't. They came to the fore yeah. themselves. And if you look at current, the current structures of an agencies now, lots of the CEOs and managing directors of the larger agencies in Ireland are, are yeah. women. Yeah. The uh, best bosses I've had in advertising were women. Yeah, so they like... Got, they, a dick you know, measuring contest which you know, goes on in the living. Advertising in, in Ireland has re- reasonably got the balance right. Okay, there's always there's room, for, room for more. One area that is interesting, I feel, that is lacking for some reason is 
creative. They're really top creatives. You know, there's it's a I mean, issue. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, because you know, women are as creative, if not more creative yeah. than men. Excuse and yet, the me. most famous Irish ad person, yes, is a, is a woman, Catherine. Catherine Donnelly, yeah. But I mean, there's there's been some talk about this. I mean, yeah, it's actually self defeating because if there's more male creative directors, they're the ones who are on juries. The sort of tone and and style of advertising that men tend to write is different from women. They're the ones that get awarded. Those guys get on. Women and women tend to be sort of stuck writing fucking shitty ads for P and G. Yeah, you yeah, know, and they don't true. they don't tend to get to be able to break out from that. I was asked recently, would would I have would I see someone in Australia? Do would would I have an issue with a female creative director? And I was like, no. But she was asking me. Patsy Peacock, hello for listening, was saying saying it in a way that most companies would. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. But th- th- this industry has issues. One of the issues it has is ageism. Big, big thing. He now, said it. Yeah, 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 he says being yeah. a, a, yeah. a hill mob himself. However, we're moving towards a, an, an older society. So what you have is, I, I, I was asked to speak at an over 55 conference about 10 years ago. But I did some research, just a box pop in the office, and I just sent around an email to 50 people and said, Name some of the songs that you think are on my iPad, iPod at the time. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe the answers I got from Val Daniel Lincoln. O'Donnell to Frank Sinatra to you too, the Wolf Tones. There was the odd U two, yeah. but the very fact that you know at the time I was listening to weird yeah. and wonderful stuff, you know, but they had no perception of the world that I inhabit. Why? Because the average age was twenty five. If you're targeting an, an older age group and you've got a twenty five or a twenty six year old. But what they're writing about are their parents and their grandparents. And if you look at, go back in the day, it's not so much now, it's getting better, I have to say. Old people in ads, they're usually doing the garden or playing golf. Looking over their glasses. Yeah, or looking over a fence. When the reality of it is, the highest users of Viagra in Ireland are the over 55s. And the people with disposable income are the over 55s. The highest incident of um, sexually transmitted disease are in the over 50s now. Because they're on two or three parts, you know, they've gone... So it's really... It's an interesting dynamic. No, and I think also there's a lack of mentorship in agencies. Whether we're just like curmudgeonly old people, that's what they always do, give out about the new songs today. They don't write them like they used to in the youth today. But if you look back the last 10, 15 years in advertising, there's nothing that jumps out at me because I wish I did that. You know, there's like the, I mean, I could find some things, but if I, if I go back the previous 15 years, there's 20 or 30 things. Now, fragmentation and the fact that the difficulty in getting something into into the consciousness is, is there. The famous BBH, Levi's, Audi, Vorsprung, Dirk Technic, all that stuff, British Airways, all the stuff that was, you know, the Irish, I don't know, I, I don't read it back in Irish advertising and go, oh, there's all these great ads particularly, but, you know, some of the Guinness stuff, I suppose, and mm. that Arcs did, but... You know, that there's nothing there. There's just this vapidity. And it's like, it doesn't matter what is in the ad as long as the ad gets put into this algorithm that throws it up on my Scrabble app. Well, I think, look, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, I think, obviously, budgets have been reduced. Now, a lot of this is the agency's fault, our fault, you and me and people like us who let it happen to us. And it's a bit, you know, the old frog in the boiling pot, all that stuff. Because we allowed procurement to take over the process. So yeah. procurement are being brought in by big companies and they're deciding that they're going to buy a piece of creative in the same way that they buy a bag of sand. The big bugbear here, which is why there's less and less older people in the business, is the blended rate. 
some genius decided that this blended rate was going to work and imposed it on agencies and unfortunately agencies accepted it. So basically a blended rate could be say it's 100 euro an hour. So 150 euro an hour I will get for me lots of experience or I get it for a junior account executive. What's happening is businesses are saying well we don't need all these people that are costing us a fortune if we're getting a higher return on younger people less experience here we have to pay less. And we're just buying a bag of sand. Yeah. And what's happening is then... Sand is that, sand. Yeah. I mean, what's happening is that <laughs> they're looking at this and then they're rating it, saying, well, you know, a blue sky, sky idea will give you this for... You know, it doesn't work like that. No. You know that better than anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but we've allowed ourselves. Yeah. We've accepted it. So we had this fear of just the biggest... Once we get a climb, we're just the biggest fear is that you'll go out to pitch. So do everything in your power to say yes to that client, have his head nodding. Cut, 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 cut. Eventually, it's going to be out of pitch anyway because you're probably bored of the pants off by just giving it the same bag of sand every time, you know? I, I have, have no problem getting rid of clients and yeah. have done in the past. Yeah, I know you're known for that. Sometimes to my detriment, you know, when you think about it later on. But at the same time, you have to be true to yourself. And if people don't respect the work you're doing and are not prepared to pay you enough yeah. for it, then what, what's the point? And uh, you do have to get rid of them from time to time and take a risk. Now, it's, it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. However, I think if more of us were doing that, we wouldn't be in, yeah. in the state we're well, in. It's, it's about confidence and self-worth and your ability. And I mean, that's why I love at Mad Men because some of the advertising bits of that are so well done. It's a time when there was a confidence. It's like, you're coming here because we know what we're doing and you don't know what you're doing. Now the clients all think they know what they're doing. They don't. There's been, the account handling side have dominated this business for too long. Mm. A lot of it is suit-led. The reality of it is most clients don't want to see or listen to suits. They want yeah. to see and listen to people that are a little bit different than them, yeah. creative people that look at the world a yeah. little bit differently. But for some reason, our business has been been that way. And a, a client said to me about three or four years ago, Liam Sheehan, and he said to me, I don't want to be managed. I want to be excited. That's, that has stuck with me, you know. Yeah. Stop trying to manage me, sending me over account handlers and account managers. I yeah. want to see really brilliant work that makes the hair on the back of my neck tingle. That's what I want. But then there are other, other clients who don't who are so lazy, they want everything done for them, yeah. which means lots of account managers yeah, yeah, yeah. and less creative. So what the result is that the actual work that they get is not great. Another thing that's happened in the business, if you go back to the Mad Men days, when it started, there was creatives and there were suits. Yeah. And then in this probably, what, in the 70s, we had this thing called planning. The module of creativity, you had the module of suits, and then you had the module of planning. On top of that, then, we had this thing called technology. Technology permeates everything and the technology overrides the idea for example back in the day you and I would remember this concept called integrated marketing and that was about making sure your message was the same across all the channels if you heard something on radio you know you needed to make sure you understood it if you've seen it on TV now that now integration means something else it's an integration of the voices so that if I'm sitting there doing this thing meerkatting at home and I'm a teenager and I have my laptop on the TV's on and I have my 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 smartphone yeah. I need to be able to see the same message yeah. so it's important that the integration of the devices rather than the, mess, the idea so very often what happens is you we're presenting ideas and the technologist decides which one they're going to choose because they say or he or she says that that's not going to work on yeah. that uh, platform or that's not going to work on that so, so basically, we have now got the mechanics techies, of the medium are driving techies deciding yeah. the creativity. Yeah, that's not that's right. wrong. I think it's got it. I can feel the wheels maybe falling off. Gary runs uh, 
I think are you chairman here, JW? Yeah, uh, I'm executive director. I keep executive moving, director. Yeah. There you I'm go. Not, I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm involved in helping to helping the business. Yeah. Right. So it's one of the biggest uh, ad agencies in Dublin. Recently, caused by the merger of Target, McConnell's, and TDF HMB. I just want to go back now, just onto your chronology, because actually one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was the sort of um, the class system, and like you would be, you would be a. If, I, if I'm not being offensive, a sort of barrow boy come good in the ad business. And if you remember, in the UK, a huge number of famous ad people came from, you know, working in fruit and veg stores or, you know, they, they, they understood what it meant to live and to graft and to buy things and, you know, all this sort of stuff. That's all gone. In came the, you had to have a degree and whatever the fuck. And, you, you know, you were, you, it was who your dad knew and all this kind of stuff. So you've, you've crept to the very top of the business through that path, which is rare. How yeah. did you get, how did you, when you finished school that time, your dad said to you, go to school, you did that because he was echoing in you. What happened then? Where did you, where well, did you? As I say, I, I made the, the mistake, I still have the scars of, of studying accountancy for two years and I hated it and worked as a trainee accountant in a builder's providers and hated it and decided then after that I had to go and leave and, and I gave it up and then I got a job as a salesman selling print. What was your motivation then just to get a job? Yeah. Get a job and if I could if I could get a job as a salesman and do well, I could earn commission and I reckon the harder I work, the more I could earn. And I was really purely about that. So but when I got the bug of selling, I always was had a had a creative bent in me anyway, for some reason. I used to write stuff, I would write really nice letters to clients and all that, and some of the, the other sales guys would ask me to write letters for them. So I became almost a, a copywriter writing yeah. sales letters yeah. in the office and I you know very often I charge these guys for it as well. Yeah. So I was doing that and then I kind of discovered I need to get better at this. So how do, I, how do I get better at it? So I started, I went to the College of Marketing and enrolled in there and did a did a degree course there. Uh, didn't finish it, but enrolled for five years, did it for three years. Right. And that was a great grounding in the basics of, of marketing. And I always remember... Why didn't you finish it? Sorry? Why didn't you finish it? Just had, I, 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 taught, I taught it enough, you know. I learned enough. Some of the, you know, some of the lectures were coming in reading out of books, and I said, yeah. I "Don't need that, you know. Yeah, I can yeah. just do that myself." Interesting about that was, I remember you talk about the working class. Still, my friends were from Cabra and Finglas and everywhere else, and my mates were plumbers or they were driving trucks and everything else. And they'd say when we'd have a few points, Brown, what are you doing now? You're doing something that night, aren't you? And I go, "Yeah, I'm doing. I'm studying marketing." And they go, "Marketing? Yeah, what's that? Is that like selling? Is it or?" Is yeah. that, is that advertising or yeah. what is it? And I, and I got so frustrated. I decided that's it. I'm going to have an answer. So I sat down and I looked at what was marketing. And I still have it to this day. So when someone says to me, oh, you say to me, what's marketing? I would say, deep breath. Marketing is the management function which organizes and directs all those activities involved in assessing and directing consumer purchasing power into effective demand for product or service and moving their product or service to the end user so as to achieve the targets or other objectives set by the organization. And you know Hotler, what? You know what? They never asked me again. Yeah. <laughs> that was the end of that. When I started studying marketing, I then got a job in Delarue Smurfit. They looked at the whole area of direct mail production for print. Like the Dutch uh, post office and the Dutch KLM were, 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 had, were quite insightful. And they went over to people like Time Magazine and The Economist and said, look, if you have this big audience in Europe, why don't you, instead of paying all the shipping costs, why don't you print it and distribute it? So the Dutch print industry became really great at that. So Smurfit looked at that, and I was put in charge of product development. And with that, I was sent away to America. And I spent six months going all around New York, meeting people, interviewing people like Lester Wonderman. So I learned all this stuff. And I came back and I made a proposal to Smurfit to set up this big production. And they said, no, we're going into computer manuals. 
which is good for them. But I, I had at that stage developed all these skill sets on yeah. and direct marketing, knew what it was. I said to myself, there's no direct marketing agency in Ireland. So look, I'll have a go at it myself. And that's really how, how that started, you know. That was called Target, was it? Called Target Marketing, yeah. yeah. No, not, at the, quite an original name at the time. Yeah, of course, but, yeah, yeah. No, but I remember it. I remember when, but also you were entering this uh, guns blazing and you're coming in as a businessman, you're coming in ignoring. I mean, I can't let go. I'm sure I'm sure it happened later, but every time I mention I'm meeting you, everyone goes, oh yeah, he's the guy who kicked the shit out of someone at an award show. Maybe we're not allowed to go here. No, we are not. Statues of limitations. I didn't kick him. Okay. That's all I'm saying. All right, I know. <laughs> but you have this reputation. I mean, tell that story first of all. If you can, I don't know whether you're probably yeah, set well, well, it was very know. I'll tell it. It was a funny story anyway. I don't know whether I've got this right, but there was some award show and uh, Gary was winning some award, I think, and some of the judges didn't like the way he was made a comment to you, said you were a knacker and you hit them. Is that fair? Well, he called me a knacker on three knacker occasions. Derogatory. He called me a knacker on three occasions, and I warned him on each occasion to stop. So, yeah. you know, you are what you are, and, yeah. you know, that's that's so... But, I mean, it's the old, uh, you, you fuck one sheep joke, right? Cause every, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everywhere it's mean, like, no. But it's not a bad attitude. It's not a bad yeah, brand no, image to have, you know? It's not bad. You're not a, I know you're a very kind guy, and I know you're a, you don't suffer fools. And we often, even back then, we used to gravitate towards each other and chat. And yeah. We didn't work together, I yeah. don't think. But, you know, but no, this idea that you, and I have it, and you have it, and I get hold over the coals for opening my trap and I see bullshit. I don't like it. And I, I call it out internally. I call it out sometimes with clients. I haven't decked anyone yet. But, you know, that there is this element of you that's come in to the business with a fucking look this business is full of bullshit and I'm just going to cut through it and you did yeah well we, well, I suppose you have to have a point of difference and that's the first thing you always you, know, you have to have a point of difference yourself if you're going in and, and you're working with brands you have to have points of differences so I looked at it and said well how am I going to make a difference here well I'll try and be I'll come up with the accountable role yeah. we target people and we make sure that you know we get a return on investment and you yeah. give them figures and you give them models we were doing stuff that at the time was was really a man going in saying, oh, "What is all this stuff you're spending on awareness advertising?" Listen, let me yeah. tell you about awareness advertising. Awareness advertising—it's an involuntary act. Yeah. Once you become aware of something, you don't need to be kept being aware of it. And what you're spending more and more money on being making people aware of something they're already aware. Well, me, what I'll do is I'll get them. I will get them to change behaviour and yeah. buy your product, and I'll do it in a targeted way, and I'll give you a return on investment. So that was our spiel at the time. And we were quite successful at doing it, and we were aggressive, and we were called all sorts of things. And you know, you, those guys don't understand strategy, and those guys. But we were delivering results and mm. tangible results. And we started in nineteen ninety, but we nearly went bust in ninety four. We had a, a, a bad debt for thirty grand at the time, which was big money now, but huge money then. So we let everybody go, having built up a little business, and I paid up, paid my way through it. Didn't pay myself for nine months. What was interesting was um, <laughs> I don't like saying it, but. 94 was the World Cup in the, in, in the America, me yeah. being a big soccer fan. I said, how am I going to get to the World Cup? And I ended up having extra tickets, so I was had to go to America and sell some tickets yeah, at the time. Desperate men do desperate things. So anyway, we got through that. and um, I was at it as well. Yeah, we, we uh, came back and we grew the business, and it was myself and the team, and they, they were really dedicated and doing stuff. Started winning awards, doing really well, and we managed then, we got some work from Diageo, that really was was a game changer for us because the agio had big budgets and allowed listen to us and you know we said we can convert people like for example the, the the Guinness brand at the time was losing market share to young people yeah and there was a there was a, a taste barrier 
and then you know, we came up with some great programs. We had a sensible sampling program. It's, it's an acquired taste. If we could get groups of people to taste it over a period of time, we'd move them up, you know, from rejectors to, to adopters and adorers yeah. and all that stuff that the great stuff that they have. And then we, we tapped into the whole idea of database marketing that we were doing at the time. Now, we were quite ahead of our time. I mean, we were using data back in, this is like 95, 96, yeah. 97. We were using data the way nobody else was using it. We were Before using... Before we had computers. Dem- yeah, demographic, yeah. sociographic stuff. We ended up with a database of, for Guinness, 330,000 drinkers. And we knew that if we could get you onto that database, we could increase consumption by 1.6 points a week. And that resulted How in... How are you talking to me? What? I don't think you were around there. No, you? no. But I was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, how were you talking to them? Like just by mail? Just by mail, yeah. Right. But we, and we would mail them four or five times a year. But we knew what they were interested in. We knew if they were interested in hurling or rugby or, or music yeah. you know, or maybe all three. We knew how to talk to them. We knew what pubs they were drinking in because we had them down against pubs. We knew what off-licenses they were drinking in. Yeah. We knew some of their friends. For example, we had this birthday card, which, which is an innovation at the time. We'd send you out a birthday card and it'd say, Dear Gary, happy birthday. Your birthday's next Tuesday. Please bring this into Harry Bourne's, your local pub. Yeah. Have a pint of Guinness next Tuesday on us. Complimentary pint. And then we'd mail your friends. And well, we'd why say, don't we do, Dear why Sean, don't we just do that now? Dear Sean. On your phone. Dear Sean, it's Gary's birthday yeah. next Tuesday. Yeah. Well, don't you join him in heart? And you, yeah. you know, you know, Irish people and Irish people, we go well, in for one, we go in for one compliment. You had to home. print all of those things and post them out, and someone had to yeah. open an envelope. Yeah, and they don't even do that now, which they could do on my phone easily. Well, we were doing it for a while on the phone as well, and that you know was, what I mean. That like today, that's, no, that's a good you. example of something I, that I get you, I get you. But you know what? It's still, you know, I'm not a luddite here by any stretch of the imagination. Those things are really easily done now, much yeah. much easier done. But you know what? When's the last time you got a, a piece of really well-crafted direct mail? Nothing. They irritate me. They come at me, which, you know, that's, that's always been level of advertising. You irritate people and they get pissed off and they, your jingle is pissing them off. But in this, they're, 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 they're not understanding how I'm using it. I rarely see someone goes, ah, that's fucking clever, you know, the way they did that, right? Yeah. It's all, you know, they, they take the same ad in my app over and over and over and over again for a week to the point where I'm sick of it. Right, and like I can, I can only I have to watch twenty seconds of it before I can switch the fucking thing off, and I always switch the thing off. We haven't applied any thought. What I'm more interested in is the simplicity of an idea of giving someone a pint in, in Ireland on their birthday from Guinness. Now that we have a phone in our paw, the ease with which that could be done and the cost taken away from all the printing and all that. Well, it, I mean, it got that's free. It, I mean, it, it got it was it was so carries anymore. But what that led to us is this this thing here. I mean, you know, in two thousand and five, I was in. I DMA was uh, someone to we still got a bit of blood on it. Yeah, said no, that's <laughs> that was before that. But uh, I remember um, being in Atlanta, standing up on a stage and being given the Diamond Echo, which is the best piece of direct marketing in the world right. against every other agency. And that was a quite a proud moment from a little agency in Dublin. Yeah. So you came into the establishment of advertising all guns blazing, you were successful, you nearly went bust. These sorts of things, you seem to be able to roll with the punches. What's your kind of lesson learned in terms of looking back in your career and the, the near misses and the, the successes? What would you... I think you have to have an opinion. That's the first thing. And you have to have a point of difference. And you have to keep ramming those home mm. and be true to yourself. Don't accept people denigrating you or putting you down. Don't accept people... Yeah. You know, someone 
yeah. to call you knacker you tell them don't do that again if you yeah. keep and if you keep doing it something might happen to you you know I am an easy going guy but I'm you know I'm from the streets so basically there's a way of growing up you know someone pokes you in the eye you poke them back twice yeah. that's just the way it is without being confrontational you have to be really good at what you do and you have to deliver I mean lots of people now you know they're great at promising but you have to deliver just yesterday we had a discussion about somebody I'm doing some pro bono work for and they're talking about you know dialing up the emotional end or something I said that's great but that's, that only works for a while you have to be able to deliver people often say to me well what's a brand and I just say very simply it's a promise that's what it is yeah. and the day you stop delivering on your promise is the day people start looking around for other brands and you, first thing is, you're a brand yourself. So when you say you're going to do something, do it. Yeah. Follow through on it and get it done. But lots of people don't do that. What about away from the advertising? You're married, you have a few kids. Yeah, um, three kids, yeah. Three kids. You've got leaving cert results today. So, oh, yeah. Today's yeah. leaving cert yeah. today. It's yeah. the, the big uh, exams for kids. Traumatic time in people's lives in Ireland, yeah. Did you do well? She did well, well right. yeah. She's delighted with herself, yeah. Right. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about away from the advertising, though, like Trump, Ireland, Inc., What's happening in Brexit? Your your views on the future for of the world? Are you positive, negative? Yeah, no, I am positive. I mean, I I wrote a piece there uh, about a year and a half ago that uh, caused a bit of a stir, and it, and I call it the tyranny of positivity. We're all being beaten into being positive, and there's no room for dissenting voices anymore. You have to. Be I positive. would say the opposite. I would say that. So? I would say that someone like Pinker. And his, his view on the fact that we're living in the best of times is a positive view. And I see negativity everywhere. You can't do this, you can't that. Oh, look at the shock. You know. No, but you can't tell people, look, you're not really good at your kid. What you no, know. okay, this is... And you know what? You're a lazy little shit. Yeah. And if you don't get your finger out, we have kids coming in here with degrees and have never been told a negative thing yeah, about okay, themselves okay. in their life. That's we're talking a different But they're all, they are being told, you can be the next Conor McGregor. No, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Cop yourself on. YouTuber. You can be the next. You yeah. can be this. You can be that. Now, that's not possible. Like, for example, school teachers, right, are being told now not to mark copies with red pen because it intimidates, you know, intimidates some ginger, of the students. People with ginger hair get offended. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but I mean, there's a whole thing on being offended. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, offend, yeah, get offended, get over yourself. And, and also in America, like in soccer, going back to where we started, they have, you know, under sevens, they don't count the score in the game. Jesus, that you know, the whole point of the game. And you have to tell, you yeah. have to tell, you know, everyone little, how good they are. The little fucking and, rubber neck. You know, I mean, I remember. Well. I, 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 like, I was, I was, I, my son, he wasn't a bad footballer and a good rugby player as well. But he, I remember running his team, and we were under, <laughs> under. There was three teams, another, the ten, and this dad says to me, "Why, why isn't?" Why is my Shawnee in the second team? And I said to him, because we don't have a tour team. You know? So, you, but you can't say that. Yeah. Because you're yeah. accused of all sorts of things. But it needs to be said sometimes. Yeah. You know, I got to, to be relatively friendly with Alex Ferguson over the years when I was involved in Shelburne. We set up the kind of co-op thing with them and stuff like that. And that's actually, that's that young girl in his arms there who, oh. uh, who was uh, six weeks old. That's the one who did the leave there today. Oh. But one of the things he said, I said when someone says to him, you know what? If you want to make it, what what? And he said, sacrifice. You know, you need to sacrifice, and you need to have you need to have that hunger. And you know, 
I mean, the issue is not just the snowflake generation. It's the same as I say with businesses. People come to me after a conference. Oh, Gary, we have this um, little problem. Only can you help me with it? I go, no problem. Here's my card. Email me yeah. what your problem is, and I guarantee I'll get back to you. They never hear, never hear them again. That's ridiculous. They want you to want you to give them a couple of sound bites, but they're not prepared to do the work to actually tell you what. Go and dig down deep because yeah. they give me something. I say, is this the real problem you have? They're not prepared to really go get their hands dirty. And say, yeah. this is the problem I have. How can you help me? Yeah. And I don't bother with people like that. Do you have confidence in the way humanity's moving? Uh, yeah, I suppose I do. I mean, obviously, a lot of this has been, uh, a lot of it is coming from Trump, the language he uses and the methods he uses, which are all kind of sensational, and, you know, tweeting. Do you like part of Trump? Do I like part of him? I mean, I know he's, I'm sure you don't like him, but do you, do, do you identify with the street fighter of him? Yeah, I, I kind of do to a little bit, but I don't like the way he goes about it. I mean, that language yesterday with that girl calling her a dog, you know. Yeah. I mean, whether it was a guy or a girl, it just happened to be a woman, you know, and, and, and tweeting about it. There's something quite strange about that. But what I find about Trump is, is he never follows through on anything he says now. You know, we're talking about brand being a promise. Soon after a while, people are going to cop him on and know that is just blustered. I think they will. Yeah. Brexit is the very same thing. I mean, you have people coming up, talking about fake news, people like Farage and, and Boris saying, if we leave the EU, we will save X amount per week on the NHS. Now that's all complete lies. So, I don't know how Brexit's going to go. I'm still not convinced it'll happen. No, I agree with you. I think that's going to, they're going to work out a way to do another referendum. Irish people are having that. We had to do that too. Three times, yeah. Yeah, well, someone said, you know, actually, lads, lads, I think you made a bit of a ball to that. Like, and you go, oh, just fair, fair enough. It's right, Ted. Right, Ted, we'll go back and do that, you know. You're also a publican. Talk to me about your pub. Yeah, uh, being a publican, uh, well, I'm, I'm involved with a group of guys that own a pub. We set up a, a traditional Irish music venue on the north side of the inner city called Piper's Corner. And it's to do with the fact that we wanted to we wanted to find an area that we were all, all north siders involved in, in, in the pub. We wanted to, it's in an area that needs some regeneration that's happening now. We're fans of, very proud of being Irish. One of the guys is a great, uh, Ilan Piper's dad was in the Chief and his name is Sean Potts. So there is that great tradition of Irish music coming through and we wanted something that was authentic and real it's great crack it's a good um, authentic Irish music experience and I mean that with greatest respect to O'Donoghue's and places like that where all the tourists go but if you're a tourist coming to Dublin this is real wrong side of the tracks proper Irish uh, you play music there every night yeah every night 9 o'clock it's on and really great really great trad players you know so, yeah. so uh, this is my usual closing question of these interviews. You, you, you did speak at the start about how your father's been with you all your life. What would you say to the 11-year-old Gary who just lost his dad if you had to go back and say something? Uh, it's funny. I got to write a, a note to my 15-year-old nephew who lost. He's now living in Brazil. He lost his dad uh, when he was very young. At 15, for some reason, in Brazil, it's, it's kind of a watermark. And people write letters, which is a great thing, great discipline, you know, to, to sit down and write a letter to somebody, especially a 15-year-old. And the, the guy is a brilliant kid. He's into music. When I, when he was a kid, he was singing that, that's uh, like nine years ago now, that, that song by um, Rihanna, Please Don't Stop the Music, Please Don't Stop the Music. And I always remember him singing that. And so he started the letter with Please Don't Stop the Music uh, because he's now become a really great musician. Oh, right. And I spoke to him about, uh, about how losing his dad can be, 
quite a defining thing for you and you have to use it because you need to be help people around you and it can be quite character because you are left a little bit on your own with that gap in your life and so you have to fill that gap yourself because nobody else is going to fill it for you unless you get really lucky and you have a, a really good mentor and just be true to yourself and think of him and think of his values and think of him being there on your shoulder like it's funny um you know, I've uh, I, I just, now I've written a play, and that's going to be on in um, in the Viking Theatre in January. And it's not about him, but it's about some of the things. It, it's about two guys in their fifties in a pub and talking about a young barman. It's about the slagging. It's it's about slagging that goes on. And sometimes we go What's over the name top of it. It's called Back Live. Back Live. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't have a happy ending, but it's a black comedy. Right. But yeah, some of the stuff came through that is, you know, for example, there's a gap in his life. There'll always be a gap. Accept it. Don't try and fill it in. The gap for my life has always been that anything that I've ever achieved, I feel, I never feel great about it because he wasn't there to see it. But don't feel that because it's back to, it gives you, you know, the chip on both shoulders. Yeah, you're trying to prove yourself all the time. Um, You never get there, you know yourself. But um, that's probably what I'd say. First of all, I have a philosophy, love me, hate me, don't ignore me. People don't like you and and maybe you try and make them like it. If it doesn't work, just leave them alone. Move on to people that do and people who appreciate you and respect you and want to listen to you and want to be close to you. What are people not worth it? So, so love me, hate me, don't ignore me. Same thing that you talk about advertising. Your ads, if you make them properly, they're not going to appeal to everybody. They shouldn't, you know. And just be true to yourself. At the end of the day, put your head in the pillow and say, well, you know, now not everything you do, everything you do, there, there, I have regrets, but you know what? I don't dwell on them. What's the point? You, you can't unring a bell. I mean, just move on. That's why I say be true to yourself and realize not everybody's going to like you. Don't worry about that. Concentrate on the people that do like you and do appreciate you and try and work with them. Gary Brown, it's been a great ride. Love that. Hyper's Corner is the name of the pub in Dublin. And if you go in there, I'm just throwing this out as a direct marketing thing. And you mention a pint with Shawnee B, you get a free pint of Guinness. How's that? Free drink tomorrow. Yeah, that's the motto. Only for tomorrow, yeah. the day it launches. Listen, if you buy two, you pay for both of them. How about that? <laughs> Thanks a million, mate. All right.